Well, we went through a genealogy this morning, a portion of it, with a lot of names that are in a foreign language, and we don't know what they mean. But I think a lesson we can gather from that is each and every person is important to God, both as an individual and as part of his plan for his people as his kingdom family. So it's good to know our family. And the greatest covenant blessing between God and his people is corporate worship. When his people bow down to him together, as that last verse said, with yonder sacred throng, we at his feet may bow and then join the everlasting praise of God. Now, from before creation, God's plan was that all people would bow to him, be able to, be empowered by grace to bow before him in humble, obedient faith through the Son of God who died for all people. That's in the last book of the Bible. And his name in English means Savior King. Now, our Matthew passage shows Jesus is descended from King David and therefore is the eternal king that God spoke about to David through his prophet Nathan. And he's also descended from Abraham, the father of those who are faithful. Now, our psalm, which was written after the remnant returned from Babylonian exile, expresses a yearning of that remnant for the righteousness and the joy that flows from righteousness. And it is also a petition in hope for the coming of the eternal Messiah King. So let's look at this in more detail. Okay, the Matthew passage, and there's 17 verses and 48 names mentioned in it, says that Jesus um, came starting with Abraham, okay? It's this whole genealogy. Now, the first verse is a stage setter. It sets the stage for the genealogy in the entire book of Matthew. It's called the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. So this is the genealogy of Yeshua, Hamashiach. Yahweh is salvation, who is anointed And the anointed one was always the king, to be the Messiah. And then there's two key names here. First, King David. And remember, he had received the word that one of his descendants would be the eternal king. He couldn't build the temple, but Nathan said, I will make you, your descendants, to be the eternal king. And then Abraham is the human father of all human faith. So we have both kingship and faith mentioned here. So Jesus the Messiah 
is the son of Abraham and of King David and many, many, many more. So now we will take this uh, passage and break it into three parts. There's three triads, and it even summarizes that way at the end. So we get from Abraham to David, and I found it kind of interesting. There's two foreign women in here. So what I'm going to do is of the 48 names, we're going to quickly look at 20 of them. So we get from Abraham to Jacob Israel's grandsons. And the first name I'm going to look at is Judah, which means praise. He was the fourth born son of Jacob Israel, whose name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And he's the only one of the 12 sons named here, of course, because he is an ancestor of Jesus. Now, the interesting thing, these 12 sons, just to remind us, had four different mothers. Talk about a dysfunctional family, right? Okay. Now, Tamar begat the one who was in the line of Jesus, but her whole story and relationship with Judah is pretty sordid. Now, she has a beautiful name. Tamar means palm tree. And, and if you're in a wilderness, a palm tree is a wonderful thing. Now, Judah took her to be the wife of his firstborn of three sons. But the first two sons died before they had any children. And according to the instructions given to Moses, the Torah, um, the surviving brother would marry the widow until someone was risen up. Well, after these two died, the third son was too young to be married. So Judah said, stay around, and when he grows up, you will be his wife. But Judah reneged on that, and she was left unmarried while this son was fully of marriageable age. So, so what did she do? If you remember the story right, she dressed up as a prostitute, stood on the side of the road, and seduced him. And became with child. Now, there's a lot of blame to go around here. And then she gave birth to twin sons. But she's the first of five women, mothers, who are named in this line. And then the line is traced from the firstborn of these two twins to David, who became king. And I'm just going to pick out a few names. Aminadab means um, prince of the people. And usually that am, if it comes at the beginning or the end, that's the Hebrew word for people. So he's the prince of the people. And then we get Boaz, which means in him is strength. And, And we know just how awesome of a man he was. But now we find out here for the first time it's revealed in scripture, his mother was Rahab. Remember her? She's a very, very interesting person, a non-Israelite prostitute in Jericho. She believed God was with the people of Israel, and when the two spies had been sent out and their lives were in danger, she hid them. And then she said, I am doing this, and I won't disclose what you've done or that you've been here, but in return, you must guarantee 
my life and the life of my family, which happened. And now we see that she married in to Israel. Okay? Now, what's kind of cool about Boaz also is that um, he, uh, his mother being Rahab, and then um, he married Ruth. So two of the most interesting and unique women in all of Scripture were involved with Boaz. So we have Rahab, who's the second woman, and then we have Ruth. And again, we've done her story before. She's the third woman, and she was from Moab, um, a, a child of Job, And she married an Israelite man, to refresh your memory, who was sojourning with his family in Moab because in the house of bread Bethlehem, there was a famine going on at the time. All the men died, but she loved her mother-in-law very much. And she put her faith in Naomi's God, and she came back. She ended up marrying Boaz, getting in Jesus' family tree. And everybody called her a woman of noble character. Now, Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed, Eved, which means a servant. And he was the grandfather of David, King David. So Jesus, the Messiah is the son of Abraham and King David. And then we get a second section, which has the kings of Judah from David's son Solomon until the Jews were carried off to Babylon and never had a king again. So we will look at the part that goes from David's son Solomon to Uzziah. And here's where it gets kind of tricky, and I stumbled a bit. But notice this interesting about the fourth mother in the line. We're told that Solomon came from Uriah's wife. Okay. Matthew was not led to use Bathsheba's name, to refer, but instead referred to her as Uriah's wife. Now, Uriah was a convert a convert to faith in Yahweh when he served under David. And what is really cool, because Uriah is not a Hittite name, it's a Hebrew name. So I think at his conversion, he took a Hebrew name. Ur means light, Yahweh. His name is my light is Yahweh. And he was done dirty. And we must also realize Bathsheba was by no means innocent, okay? David loved women too much, but I, I learned this in seminary and, and from professors who had studied first century Jerusalem, or not first century, but, you know, Davidic times, 1000 BC even. And people... She was on the roof taking a bath, and there was only one two-story building in all of Jerusalem, King David's palace, okay? She had obviously targeted David, and she seduced him, and he was all too willing of a party, and I think that's why Matthew could not bring himself to articulate his name, her name. 
And then we will take just a quick look at Avia. His name means my father is Yahweh. But if you look up his story in Kings and Chronicles, he didn't live up to his name. He was one bad king. And then we have Asa. And I actually took, if you're interested, all 42 of these men. I have what their name means in English, okay? The Hebrew name's just nonsensical. But I found out, and I remember preaching on him a couple of weeks in Chronicles, his name ironically means physician or cure. And he was a very good king until the final years. And you remember three horrible sins. He relied on a foreign nation, Syria, rather than his God. And then when the prophet confronted him to correct him, he threw that prophet into jail. And finally, when he became diseased, he never saw God. But he sought his cure from physicians. And I just think that's kind of telling and interesting. Then we have Yoram, which means Yahweh is exalted. Again, they gave great names to these kings, but most of them were bad. And he was another bad one. Okay. And now in uh, Matthew, if you look at it, um, we go from Jehoram to Josiah or Uzziah. And as I was looking at that, And again, Uzziah also had the name Azariah, but there's all these names that that sound similar in Hebrew. And as I traced it through Kings and traced it through Chronicles, they've left out three kings, okay? You'd have to really go back to the text to find out. You'd just read this over. You'd never even notice, but who were they? Well, um, the first one was Ahaziah, who was the daughter, I mean, the son of a king and Ahab's daughter. Remember, Jehoshaphat married off his son to Ahab's daughter to form an alliance, and God got mad. So this wicked mother, she killed all of her sons. However, the um, wife of the priest who was the sister of the man who was killed, actually, um, I mean, the aunt, she actually stole Joash away and hid him. And he became a boy king at age eight. And then uh, Joash had a son um, whose name was Amaziah. So you had Ahaziah and Amaziah, and then he begot Uzziah. But we just go from one to the other in this genealogy. And then after Uzziah, and he was interesting because he was a good king until he got too big for his britches. And he goes into the temple to offer incense when only priests could go in there. And so he was struck with leprosy. He ran out, and he was really not king. His last several years, his son co-reigned with him. Now, from him, we go up to the Babylonian captivity, and finally, we had a good king here. I'm going to pick out Hezekiah, whose name means the might of Yahweh. And if you remember right, he restored the right temple worship. He had a horrible father and a horrible son. 
but they celebrated a memorable Passover while Hezekiah was king. Then we'll skip all the way down to Josiah, the last good king of Judah, and his name means whom Yahweh heals. And then three of his sons and one of his grandsons were on the throne. And we just want to uh, point out Jeconiah, another one with beautiful name, Yahweh establishes, but he was a bad king. And if you look him up, three months and 10 days, Yahweh didn't establish him. He was removed. He was carried away by Nebuchadnezzar. And then we're... uh, we find out in Chronicles, his uncle ruled for 11 years, and then they were all carried off to Babylonian, Babylon, Babylonia. That is the second triad completed. And then what we get is a very interesting thing that is, is really only recorded fully here. Ezra and Nehemiah take us through several of the generations. But it's the royal line who were supposed to be kings but they are now in servitude to other nations, and at best, they are governors under a king who ruled over them, all the way until Mary's son, being called the Messiah, is born. So the first name is very interesting, Zerubbabel. Sounds kind of funny, right? You know what it means? Born in Babylon. What could be a more appropriate name to the first royal son who was born in Babylon. So he managed to survive to the end of the 70 years. He was probably about 40 years old at the time. And so he was a governor after they returned. And you can read about that in Ezra and Nehemiah. But they were under the rulers of Persia and then on and on different kingdoms. Now, Eliakim means raised up by God. And he was raised up to be governor, but he was under a ruling world power. Zadok, I just mentioned him because his name means righteousness. That's a great name. So, you know, when you see Zadok, it's not funny. It's righteousness. And that's all we know about him. Now, an interesting thing, uh, I got this out of, out of a Bible commentary. Achim, uh, his name is not anywhere in Scripture. He got left out of Kings and Chronicles and all of the Tanakh, but He was in the line somehow. Uh, The Holy Spirit had him put in here. And now we'll come right down to the final generation because they were trying to establish the right of Jesus to be king in David's line. And his foster father, Joseph, whose name means he will add, he was of the line of David. And then we have, it says, the only thing it really says about Joseph here is that he's the wife of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. And I know this shocked me when I was looking up what names mean. Do you know that Mary means rebellion? Isn't that awesome that God chose a woman by the name of rebellion, but that was not her character. So a lot of these kings were misnamed, positive when they were bad. But Mary is noted 
For when Gabriel appeared to her and said God's plan for her, she surrendered herself fully to the will of God. And she said, may the Lord's will be done that I have been chosen for this. And she had a beautiful praise song and everything. And that she was the mother of Jesus. Again, Yeshua means salvation. Um, The Christ, which is Greek for anointed, which in Hebrew is Messiah and King's were anointed. Now, I want to also, we've gone all the way through, you know, back to David, and we focused on him and that Jesus is king. We've established that, okay? But now let's go back to Abraham and see where he fits, because he's very important too. He is called the father of the faithful. Abraham is the first one in the line of all of those who are totally faithful to God. Well, that's not true. They do the best as they can as human beings. But as scripture says, Jesus is the only one who is always faithful in everything all the time. And then Jesus, if you remember in John's gospel, he established a link between Abraham and himself. You know, they were disputing with him, the ones that disputed, the Pharisees that hated him. And he said, Abraham didn't behave that way. And they said, Abraham? What do you know about Abraham? You're just a young man. And he said, ah, you need to know. Abraham saw my day. He saw me and he was glad which means the pre-incarnate Jesus had seen Abraham, okay? Now, the only way to receive the salvation of the Savior is to rest in him, and that's in the psalm we're going to look at in a minute. Faithfully obeying all that he has commanded in gratitude for the gift of his death and his resurrection on our behalf, Okay, so um, he is now both our savior and our eternal king. And humanly speaking, this is through David all the way back to Abraham in faith. So now we're ready for the last verse of Matthew that summarizes this whole passage. There's 14 generations from Abraham to David, David to captivity and captivity to Messiah. Now, I heard or read somewhere that a biblical generation might be 40 years, so each of these um, triads would be 560 years, which certainly works back to David. So Jesus, the Messiah, is the son of Abraham and of King David. Well, let's go now and look at, at this messianic psalm that we also heard read. Yahweh's people are asking him to remember the temple David directed to be built and to restore the priesthood and establish the eternal king. Now, it turned out to be Jesus was both. So Yahweh's people, again, this has three parts. The first part, they ask him to remember David's passion to build a dwelling place for him. 
So I'll just summarize these. I'm not going to go through all the poetry. I'm going to get to the heart of what's said. Yahweh remembered David's affliction and his vow. And we know David had many afflictions, but primarily Saul was chasing after him for years and years and years and trying to kill him because Saul didn't want him to be king. And then he said he would not enter his house, David, uh, or sleep until he found a dwelling place for Yahweh. Now, Nathan had given him the word, David, that you cannot build the temple for Yahweh. You can only plan for it. And David bought the land and he prepared everything for his son Solomon to build it. Second part of our passage in this psalm, what we heard, they recall their former worship in the temple and ask the priests, again, could be clothed in righteousness. Again, this is the remnant that has returned and things are bleak. So God's people say they heard of it in the place of fruitfulness, that's Ephrathah, and found it in the field of the woods. King James translated Jaar as if it wasn't even a proper name. And then they exhort themselves to go to his dwelling place to worship at his footstool. Now, again, this is a song of ascent, and this is what the pilgrims, there were 15 songs they sang on their way to Jerusalem for the three annual feasts in order to worship the covenant God, Yahweh. And they say, Yahweh, arise to your resting place, you in the ark of your strength, and may your priests be clothed in righteousness and your holy ones, that's what saint means, your holy ones um, will make a joyful noise. So the resting place that's being talked about here is the second temple. And it had the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of the mighty God. It dwelt there. And as far as the people goes, clothing with righteousness and joy and sanctification. We need to understand this. This was always available to people even before Jesus came to earth. Just like now, it required faith in Yahweh and his words and what he had said about the coming Messiah. However, they're now more accessible to all people in Jesus, the Savior, whose birth as a human baby, and he was fully God and fully man. We celebrate at Christmas. We're celebrating it still this morning. And then the last portion of the passage we heard from this psalm, they conclude and they ask Yahweh some things. They petition him to keep his word that one of David's sons will be the eternal king. Again, the theme this morning is mostly king. They pray for their current ruler in David's line, calling him the anointed until the true anointed forever comes. And, and they ask Yahweh, do not turn away from us and don't turn away from this ruler until the next one takes his place and on and on and on. And they remember what Yahweh swore through Nathan to David concerning his descendants for the throne. And I love it. You'll, you'll see if you look more carefully, God says he will not turn back from the truth of his words. So he's answering their prayer right away and reassuring them that um, 
he will keep a son of David on the throne or in the line until Messiah comes. But then there's this last thing, and we must not ever miss it. This had to do with David's line, but it's really for all God's people. If they keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach to them, then their sons will be on the throne forever, ultimately in Jesus. Faithful obedience was and always is necessary for all of God's people, even now. And after exile, remember, these leaders were only on a governor's throne. They were not independent kings as David and Solomon. So we have seen uh, in the 28 generations after David, all the way until the eternal Savior took on human flesh, born as a baby, to be the eternal king. And because of this, Jesus is the one, the one to sit on David's throne forever. So now let's just wrap up these two passages. Matthew tells us the beginning of the good news about Jesus and that he's descended from David. Therefore, he's the eternal king spoken to David through Nathan the prophet. And he's also, Jesus is also from Abraham, the man of faith. So he's the faithful king. He's the faithful one. Before Jesus came, God's people asked God to remember the temple that David directed to be built to restore his priesthood and establish his eternal king. That's all been fulfilled now. Not ultimately at the second coming, but certainly through his first advent. Jesus the Messiah is the son of Abraham and of King David. 